Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of Midweek Metagame. I'm your host, Gabriel Nassif, joined by my two regular co-hosts, Patrick Robertson. Hi everybody. And Canister. Hello. Well, well, well. Another PT, another ban? or actually unbanned this time, kind of took us all by surprise. I don't think anyone had that one on their bingo card. Unbanning Preordain, people were making jokes about it, myself included. And it turns out, I don't know. I think it had a pretty big impact. We'll see, we'll see what what you guys think. But um, yeah, that was the the decision Wizard decided to make. They didn't want to ban cards like One Ring, Bowmaster. Um, we were discussing, I thought a reasonable idea was to just, as weird as it sounds, ban the un, some of the Undying spells to just nerf Scam a bit that had a really good win rate at the Pro Tour, despite but, being the most know, expected deck. That would be just funny, right? That would just be ridiculous. Yeah. You'd look at the, at the ban list of the modern format and you'd see cards like... Blazing Shawl, School Clamp, Moxopal, Faithless Looting, and then you'd need to ban like all, all, every single iteration of that, right? Undying Malice, Malaki Rebirth, Feign Death, Undying Evil, and I'm probably forgetting some, some of the ones that are not being played, and they just keep printing them over and over. So I don't think that solution would work in the practical sense. Yeah, a little creative, but why not? But yeah, we're going to be getting into a ton of modern. A little Pioneer canister uh, has to do the hard way these days. He he won an RCQ in Pioneer, and he's also been taking more of a break for the first time in a very long time. So we'll talk a bit about kind of life aspect of a, a professional magic player slash content creator. So yeah, that, that's that's a program. And um I've been playing a bit of, of Blue Black, casting some Preordains. Pat, I believe you've been casting a lot of Preordains as well. I have done nothing but cast Preordain. And? That's it. I've just cast Preordain and, you know, I played Murktide and I played Blue Black. And I played a little bit of something else that I can't remember. I didn't last very long. I think I dropped after two, two matches. But yeah, I've just been casting Preordain. It's been really fun. I never actually got a chance to cast Preordain when I was in Standard. And it was never legal in a format that I was around for. I was kind of in the in a kind of like two or three year hiatus. It was kind of legal, and then it was never legal again. And I cast it in Legacy, but it's my first time casting it in formats that are real, and uh, you know, I played for any stakes. And so it's good. It's a really good magic card. So how do and you feel about how it impacts Merktite? And uh, like, how much stronger do you feel that deck is? It's pretty hard to have a solid grasp on like how much better your deck is after adding a cantrip to it. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's difficult to quantify, but I tr- before they unbanned Preordain, I spent a little bit of time playing these low and revealed versions and really didn't like that card in that deck. And Preordain is obviously just a much more natural uh, a natural fit in, in, in a deck like Murktide where you're you know trying to see lots and lots and lots of cards as fast as you can. It's great with Delirium. Uh, so I think it increases the stock of cards like Dragon Ranger's channel up. And I don't really care about Bowmasters at all. Uh, I'll just I'll just take the one damage and they can have a 2-2 and that's fine. So yeah, it's been great in Merktide. You know, 17 lands without any lawn revealed and feeling pretty comfortable about that. 
Oh, just 17 yeah. lands like, with, with what, 7, 8 cantrips or, and Mishra's Bobbles? Uh, I have 6 and, and 4 Mishra's Bobbles. So 4, four Creodine and 2 Consider. That's pretty nice yeah. that you get to go to like such a low amount. Yeah, it's honestly, it's been fine. I mean, uh, you could probably conceivably find space for like an 8th land if it's a Fiery Islet. Um, you could probably find a 7th Cantrip. I'd probably be more inclined to go to the 18th actual true mana source than uh, another cantrip just because I found myself mulliganing, mulliganing slightly more hands with zero land than I would like to. But quite often I'm, I'm tapping on turn three and there's like 11 cards in my graveyard. And that just feels really good. Like you look at, you look at the kind of, you know, the state of the state of the board at the end of, uh, at the end of the game. And it's often like, I have like 29 cards in my deck and the game lasts like, seven turns and it's really it's really difficult to get screwed out in games like that where you have so much card selection and to see so much of your deck and so you know if at least it feels like i have a lot of agency and it feels like it's a natural fit for the deck and it leans into the things the deck's really good at as well which is being aggressive so you know back on that you know dragon rage's channel a four merc tide yeah I, I like what it's doing and where where it's at and I had a pretty good weekend too. I think uh, Pagonti finished second in the showcase challenge, and it's been cropping up here and there in the challenge top eights. I think it's definitely back. Yeah, yeah. there is there is a little bit more of Merktide. There's probably a lot of preordains being cast. It's hard to know for sure if it's just a sheer number of, of players playing more blue decks yeah, or absolutely yeah. It's preordained, but I, I remember liking Serum Visions already in the first place. When I used to play a, a bit of Murktide, people would play one or two Serum Visions, and I was, I was pretty happy with that card. I felt like the synergy with Chandler was kind of nice because you got the Surveilled, then you drew, then you got the Scry, so it was kind of a nice fit with, with Chandler. And I think you just notice, honestly, pretty fast. I've played no Murktide, but I've played the, the blue-black deck, the blue-black range Shieldred. And I think you just notice fast you're getting screwed less, you're flooding less, you're you're just, everything's going a bit better and I think it's just preordained. Yeah, drawing it in the mid game as well is just, it feels about as good as drawing expressive iteration. Yeah, no, especially when you're digging to the one ring, you, you see so many cars or, you know, uh, you need you need an answer. I don't know, yeah, it's, it's it's been really good and Harry, Harry, MTG made top four of the, one of the challenges, blue, black, uh, people have been playing it in blue-white control too, which is a little surprising to me because I feel like the tension was the binding mana base and the tau plans would make Preordain not as good in this deck. I think it's also a deck that wants to take advantage of Chalice and casting it for zero for one. So that's another non-bow with Preordain, but it's it's been showing up in, in these decks as well in, in the blue-white uh, binding controls. Yeah, not a big fan of of pairing Preordain with Triumphs. It sounds like uh, a little bit of a problematic combination where you just gonna have your top lands. Uh, at the same time, maybe you, that means that you can find an opening for Preordain on on turn two. It's not uh, the end of the world if you don't get to cast it on on turn one always. But yeah, as to coming back to Merktide with Preordain in general, like an interesting thing is that you know we've seen. After a lot of the rings, the biggest deck, the like one of the better performing decks at the PT, Ragdos Scam. 
right? And traditionally, Merktide and Hammer, I think, were like the consensus rougher matchups for for Ragdos. Uh, so it is interesting to see Merktide get powered uh, a little bit more with uh, Preorden and make it a little bit stronger overall. Even if in that specific matchup, it is a little bit awkward because the tension between you know a sorcery speed country versus a bowmaster's deck is is pretty real. You've you've said you just like don't care and you take your ping, which is probably fair. If you as long as you board out your ragavans, but uh, I don't board out my ragavans. Oh, you don't. You don't do that. No, I'm maybe I cut one or two on the draw, but I keep them on the play. I have to applaud your balls of steel in that case because not many <laughs> now i definitely agree with keeping them on the play i uh i played that matchup a decent bit was the blue black deck i think that's the matchup i played the most and one of the few games i lost was yep just them having ragvan turn one i didn't have push um and they had spell snare for my bowmaster or maybe i had push and then they played a second one and then spell snare in my my bowmaster and yeah, Ragavan just took over. Plus, Ragavan's really good against you. They have so many good hits uh, when, when you're playing a, a deck like Blue-Black. I think I, my, my stubbornness about keeping Ragavan in my deck, even when it looks like it's bad on, in paper, actually comes directly from Gab chastising me for cutting it against young wolf decks and all various different flavors of decks that present a blocker for it, where I... Uh, at one point in time, I was trying to figure out fancy sideboard plans that involved not being vulnerable to you know getting the, the, the ground gummed up, and then I realized that well, all I should be doing is just casting it on turn one and then killing their blocker, and they can never win. Yeah, I used to get especially upset when when people mentioned cutting it against Hammer. Hammer. Time. Yeah, Hammer was the one with like, oh, what if they have Memnite? Well, like, well, then they have Memnite in the deck, <laughs> and I have Ragavan. <laughs> Yeah, okay, like that's but worst case scenario, it trades as a man knight, not great. Best case scenario, you win the game. Yeah. You just play Ragavan and win the game. Also, it's it's just one of the best cards against Esper Sentinel. Like any creature is it's just great against Esper Sentinel decks. So I think a strong argument against Ragavan versus uh Hammer is that if you think they board in Sanctified on Vect, then it's also like another bad thing and through that you literally cannot ever attack. But I, ag- I agree that like in general there is so much power with Ragavan that keeping it on the play even in places where you're you you, you wouldn't think like at first and you'd you'd think to to cut it uh, is probably a good move and if we actually take a look at the decklist from Pigonti from the showcase challenge we see that like the sideboard is greatly prepared for like dealing with the bowmasters there's two copies of Stern Scalding two subtlety and even a single like cast into the fire, which as a scam player, I had people board against me to deal with mm-hmm. bowmasters effectively. So, if you want to, there is plenty of ways to to actually handle bowmasters. I was actually trying fire and ice in the in my main deck of my Mercury. yeah. Why why not? Why not? Doesn't sound too bad. Yeah, I've I've, I've been really impressed with stone scolding. Uh, you know, I've had one in the main, one in the side. Uh, not really a big fan of spells now. And so I've been, yeah, just having the stone scolding in the in place of that. Stone scolding yeah, is yeah, it's, it's kind of devastating, yeah. When you're playing scam, when you just try to go for a turn one grief, 
on the draw and your opponent has a blue mana open and and they just counter your grief you go you already go down down a card it feels really hard to win from that spot yeah and it's a, it's the sort of thing where like if you have spell pierce you can't use that to protect against fame death because mm-hmm. they just make you discard it your lightning bolt you know you can't have like one removal spell and have that protect you whereas like i think the only card you can realistically have that's that trades advantageously in that spot is stern scolding and i've yeah i've just been really impressed with it and you know it's fine in the mirror it's especially if they're going to be moving towards having uh stuff like ledger shredder it's good against you know obviously like good against scam good against yogmoth it's, it's incredible against yogmoth yeah no i've been really impressed with stern scolding and it, yeah i definitely yeah i see i see, see what you're saying that like being he's really like made a conscious effort to say that okay like I know Bowmaster will be a problem. I'm going to go out of my way to avoid it. And go, coming back around to the Ragavan versus Bowmaster thing, you can play differently. Like, you can not expose it on turn one, and, like, you know, there's been changed play patterns with cards like Dragon Ranger's Channeler. Like, it's really bad to run out naked Dragon Ranger's Channeler. At the moment, you're supposed to just sandbag it and cast it on turn three or four when it's a 3-3, and then they can't Bowmaster it. Yeah, so there's just a... The, the games play differently with Bowmaster in mind, and, you know... Same thing goes for Ragavan. You can hold it to dash in opportune moments. And so, you know, boarding down a couple of copies on the drawer particularly makes, you know, makes that something that, you know, plays into that line, I guess. So what you're saying is that Bowmaster's spelling death to Ragavan in modern was like maybe not true or maybe even pre- preemptive, let's say. And... Uh, Ragavan is is still powerful and fine. You just need to be more careful. Yeah, I mean, it still costs it costs half as much mana. It's incredibly powerful. It ends the game if you don't have the answer on the spot. It's just, I think it's just too much in for, for too little mana for it to ever be truly bad, even if it's you know, it doesn't match up well against that card. Fair, fair. Yeah, I think I agree. Good points. Good points. We're also talking about the worst matchups right bowmaster yeah. ren and six you've got all these decks like tron living end yeah where which he just absolutely slaps against and you can't do it oh yeah <laughs> i would like, imagine leaving home without it i would i would not suggest to play uh medic Tide with no ragavans in general just you know the furthest my mind goes is to board them out in certain matchups that sounds like something yendrick would do <laughs> yeah when do has done we'll do again <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I mean, there were scam players at the PT who registered free Ragavan, or like even, I think, someone registered no Ragavans at all in scam. Yeah, and there's, there was talk of, I think, even in the internal testing that you were, that for, for your team, Gab, there was discussion about should we play zero and play or play some in the sideboard. Yeah. If you put a limited number in the sideboard, that kind of in the open deckless situation that creates some tension. I think. Seth played no Ragavans in the main and two or three in the sideboard, and I don't know if he got Brent on board or not. I know Tommy Ashton played kind of a more traditional. They did all that Fable, like Jake, who won the PT. They'll figure it out that Fable was better than Season Pyro. But I can't remember. But yeah, they definitely, you know, were gearing up for the mirror and decided Ragavan was not a main deck card. Um, and they did i think they did pretty good do you know what's the logic was preordained if you're supposed to cut lands or not it seems like most lists decided to cut one land i I know that 
for blue black what i did is i i stayed at 20 lands but i did get i did cut one lorian revealed mm -hmm. uh, i didn't cut actual lands i just trimmed charm for subtlety some of the other cards basically yeah that and, was what i was doing with blue black as well i i went three low and revealed two archmages charm so think, do you think 17 lands in Merktide is correct or do you think it's just people don't know what to cut and are being a bit greedy would, it's probably closer to 18 than it is to 17 but that's where i was i'm not convinced it's right or wrong i i kind of i'm a four lightning bolt purist <laughs> all right so that's probably where the 18th land comes in if you want to cut i would, I would also say bolt. that blue black likely just is kind of on the lower end of how many lands how many lands it's actually running compared to how many it shoots so it makes like yeah. sense to me to add pre-order to blue black and just reap the benefits of actually having a more functional mana base that is not just yeah. on the verge of being unworkable i agree with you there was we kind of discussed it last couple of weeks where if 20 land feels like way too few and but at the same time if you kind of increase that number then you don't have the tools available to actually win games and you get flooded the difficult tightrope to walk but i think now with combination of lorian revealed and preordain it's pretty easy to kind of have that 20 lands and still feel you know like you're actually functioning but not too not too heavy on mana sources so um yeah, we were wondering how, how much we could meld the preordain conversation. Well, I've got far more. I've got oh. many more things I can... So, we've talked about obvious places for preordain to fit. What are some uh, non-intuitive places you've you, you've seen a crop of over the last week or so? The deck well, we I played... The... Alright, go on, Gab. No, I was going to say we mentioned the, the binding deck. Some people have been playing preordain in their binding decks. I saw it in uh, Creativity as well. Creativity so. sounds kind of insane to me, but although like I've seen a blue, blue, red creativity, like just two colors, which kind of make made more sense. But I, I assume like you can't play preordain in like that five color creativity, right? That's just there's just no point. If you can play like, it in the blue white five, if the blue white binding deck, why not in the? I mean, going turn one steam vents, turn two run and six. It's not. It's a lot of damage, but. Well, yeah, that's because you in the blue-white control deck you have islands, and in the blue, in the creativity deck you have four dwarven mines. That that would be my <laughs> assumption. Yeah. Literally every single land in your deck is a mountain. So, yeah. While was, in in blue-white, literally every single land in your deck besides two plains is is a is an island, right? I was I was gonna I was, I was gonna say that I feel like if you're putting in five color creativity, it's just kind of like a more it's the extreme end of putting in your leyline binding decks. Yeah, all your lands and mountains, and you try to play this one drop cantrip. It doesn't strike me as a natural fit in a deck like that, yeah, and it's you know competing against other kind of like single blue cards that you could play. So like it, you know it fights for space with cards like with like spell pierce because you you know how can you have mana to cast Priordan and also spell pierce in your like twenty seven mountain deck? Exactly. But, it's the sort of thing. It's the sort of place where it's worth trying. I think. Like, and I, I think I was trying naturally trying to get people to talk about what combo decks they might have seen it in because, not only is it good at smoothing your draws in these kind of you know tempo or control decks, you know, filtering out your situational cards and getting to you know the 
the right solution to the problems you're facing. It's also good at just finding the pieces to your combo. So I think I saw you playing a little bit of breaching, grinding breach. Is that right, Canister? Yeah, I was about to mention that I actually tried pre-order in, in grinding station breach uh, for the modern showcase challenge last weekend and also also prelim earlier than that. Uh, I didn't have maybe spectacular results, but uh, it seemed to to make sense. I was finally able to get rid of Urza Saga, remove it from the deck, which mm. for a long time was kind of a painful card for me because it's it's kind of okay sometimes, but since since the one ring got printed, it really just doesn't beat anyone. Really making those constructs just so rarely wins games, and it's much more of a liability than than a helpful tool and I was thinking that Preorden could be very nice for the breach uh, station deck so that you can play less of the bad cards and just find them more often when you when you need them so my build only had two grinding had only two grinding stations only three emery's because the amount of artifacts was reduced because of uh, because I dropped Urza Saga and I was just trying to to use you know draw spells and removal survive eventually find breach uh, breach station win so I think it's like slightly promising and I certainly will play a little bit more with that build but uh, so far my results have not been anything to to write home about all right yeah i've seen a breach lotus field twiddle list too that's the kind of deck that maybe maybe preordering helps is uh is new form that's a modern deck right it's been so that's long a modern deck. That, that deck it, it, it is visions. a modern deck yeah that deck loves serum visions preordering would be great in that deck too right well, yeah. so like, so Neoform is like, you know, I, I'm pretty familiar with Neoform. So if you, if you have any Neoform questions, Gab, I can answer them. Uh, I'll, I play it sparingly because it's it's really bad. So playing it is is fun, but like, okay. it's it's kind of that problem. You you get into a league, you play two matches. It's been fun, but you lost both of them, and you don't want to play anymore. But you kind of <laughs> so it's like burn. Yeah, you kind of feel dragged into the, that league, and you keep on playing. But sounds good in theory, but. But Preorden is is definitely cool for that deck, and the latest version I have uh, seen from like the one uh, Neoform builder in the world, Ari Zaks, he tends to post his Neoform builds every now and then. I always look at them, marvel at them, occasionally play them. Too drop with them. Yeah, uh, I think his like latest builds had like something like six or seven blue cantrips, so it's a slightly more consistent deck yeah but you know at the same time it's it it dies to a stiff breeze and you're not really going to win much with it so like you can trust me you can trust me on that the the most fun thing about neoform for me is just observing and seeing the win conditions that people come up because every you know every time you see the deck pop up again you see a crazier win condition appear and uh, I, I used to play it with Professor Onyx as the win condition where you looped your like last seven cards in your deck with Endurances, redrew them with Grizzlebrand, and you played your mocks with your Grizzlebrand like six times, played Professor Onyx, and then cast many Sounder Spikes to drain your opponent. But the, the freshest win condition was 
Court of Calling into Thassa's Oracle. But since you cannot assure that you will not draw your Thassa's Oracle in the meantime, you have to also play a single copy of World Spine Worm. So you start comboing, right? You draw plenty of cards with Grizzle Brand. You summon all of your extra Alosarus Riders and then you move to your cleanup step. You discard cards, including Oracle and World Spine Worm. So you get priority in your cleanup step now because because you discarded the World Spine Worm. Incredible. <laughs> I, I... I'm about winning in your cleanup step. That's great. Uh, yes, after which you have to endurance yourself, shuffle your graveyard into your deck, court for calling for Oracle, and with the trigger on the stack, draw your deck again. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I was and trust not aware me, of all that stuff. Yeah, it's optimal. It's optimal because that way you get to play the most green cards in your deck, and you spend the fewest possible amount of slots on, on your win condition. So. Incredible. I've, no not played, I've not played. I've not played with or against Neoform since Simeon Spirit Guide was legal. Yeah, <laughs> it feels like it's evolved significantly since then. Yeah, again, again, it's like it's not really fun to play, but it's really fun to think about. At least for me, I suppose so. All right, I've, I've got a, I've got a, a, an interesting place that I saw someone cast Preordain. I still want someone cast Preordain out of Hammer. They went turn one planes Ornithopter Springleaf from Preordain. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, it wasn't very good. I sort of the sort of thing that like this is like day one of <laughs> Preordain being legal and people are just going crazy. Uh, I saw someone casting an Affinity with the exact same opening sequence, except their land was something different. I think it might have been Dark Steel Citadel. I saw someone casting an Amulet against me. Which is a spot that I think makes a little bit of sense, but you need to have all this untapped blue mana in the in the first two turns, and I can't quite figure out how you find space for that shit. It's it's really hard to have enough untapped green mana and amulets. So <laughs> yeah, having well, untapped blue is really hard. Untapped green sources, blue sources too. But yeah, I, I I agree with you. It seemed ambitious. Where else have I seen? Oh, I've seen uh, Trellon move off of Mono Blue Tron and into Mono Black Coffers Splashing Blue for Preordain. Dude, Trellon is totally unhinged. I got paired against him today in the league and he was playing Mono Blue Coffers Urborg. Oh, he was like now, Mono Blue with Coffers and Urborg. That's so funny. Yeah, so he was playing kind of Blue Tron, but instead of Tron Lands, he was playing Urborg and Coffers. Yeah. And playing a million remands. You had remand spell tiers divide by zero. Divide was, by zero. Oh, that card's so cool, but like, <laughs> just, it's not a modern power level card. I, I yeah. enjoyed the Urborg. I played a game, game free. I cast the same grief, like, I kid you not, six or seven times. Yeah. And then <laughs> just, got to, just got to remand or divided by zero, like, six turns in a row. That's fantastic. <laughs> I hope you were evoking it every time. No, of course not. I was casting it thanks to his Urborg. Of course. <laughs> oh, it was out of Living End. Yeah, I was playing Living End, yeah. So good. Nice, nice. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I saw when, when Harry was streaming the, the challenge, actually, he was putting on Trellon's stream in between rounds. Yeah, and this was like mono black, and this was splashing preordained and repeal. <laughs> Just the finest of all cards. Just <laughs> be splashing. <laughs> Yeah, so it's been an interesting, you know, I guess it's like 10 days now that Preordain's been legal. Uh, 
I feel like modern's evolved significantly. I, I do wonder how long it's going to last for and before we all settle back down to the idea that, you know, there's, there are powers that be that are, are significantly better than noodling around with blue mana in the early turns of the game. I do... If we come back to the kind of, like, philosophical decision as to why to unban a card like Briodain, uh, you kind of see you raise the idea that one of the natural predators or one of the kind of, like, more advantageous matchups or decks to play against Scam was Merktide. And so trying finding ways to put percentage points into a natural predator for Scam while is, is kind of, like, the same logic as trying to nerf scam in by, by directly banning cards from it, you know, like feign death or whatnot, you know, or pick another card that may, may be more, more uh, effective. Uh, I also like that Preordain itself is just, as uh, just in the abstract is a good card against decks that are trying to rip your hand apart on turn one. Mm-hmm. The number of times you kind of get your hand pulled apart and then you, pre- then you draw Preordain, making you more likely to go and find that unholy heat. And whatever removal spell you have, you, you need to clear out the grief that's clocking you. So it's nice to have that sort of like parallel introduced back into the format to provide a little bit of consistency to these decks that might be more, you know, trying to get that balance of like, you know, answers and threads together. Yeah, also also to speak from the perspective of a person like making the announcement, right? From from Wizards' perspective when they try to make an announcement that makes sense. So first this was like the first time we had uh, we we had the announcement that is like on the yearly schedule, right? So we knew it's gonna happen for like a long time. We knew it is the Bandis announcement uh, Monday, and uh, I think like it would have been reasonable for that weekend for that Monday to be no changes, but. That would be fairly unsatisfying, right? When like it's on on a yearly schedule and you have to wait for for like next one for a long time. Yeah, I, it, that's a weird thing about being like we're announcing once a year and it's going to be on this exact date. Like it really does put this pressure on you to deliver something. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just do yeah. something. Business right? as usual is not acceptable. So yeah. so ba- unbans obviously like much better optics than than bans and even if uh, we where to assume that the one ring is too strong for for modern i would be really surprised if if it would be gone so soon right because yeah. it's it's just released and i don't think like a very strong argument that it has to be gone can be made yet either so 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 then if you have a choice between unbanning something medium like preorden or like medium plus and and banning for uh, combat tricks from like the most recent uh, sets, then I think it's reasonable to expect that like they would go with the unban route. I, I'm still in awe of your your your, your logic, at Gab. You know what? You understand that by following your logic to the extreme, that also means I have to ban Ephemerate, your favorite card. Ephemerate's different. It's not played in scam. <laughs> so it's different. a different archetype. Not as powerful. Didn't crush a PT, but. Not as ephemerate's not as powerful as Fame Death. Is what you're trying to tell me? I mean, I think it is not, right? It's pretty crazy to think about, and I and I kind of was opposed to that idea at first too. But like, clearly, Undying Evil or like or Fame Death just have more results, right? So like, for it's a true. reason. This is true. All right, I stand corrected. 
Now, if Ephemerate was blocked, then I guess we would have a discussion, but I'm not sure. Not sure, still. Nah, if Ephemerate was blocked, it'd be obscene, right? Or it'd be at least a little better. I think they. it's too early, but it seems like they did a good job. I think a lot of people were hoping for more because of kind of a FOMO, you know? They're like, what could be if they had these great bands or these great on bands and... I thought Modern was in a pretty decent place. I expected no changes, and a lot of people were saying, oh, that's the, that's the closest to no changes they could give us. They just gave us preordain, but they were hoping for more. And it's too early to say, but, you know, people always um, make fun of Wizards for seemingly banning or unbanning cards at random. I kind of disagree I, I don't always think they nailed it but i think they usually do a pretty good job this time around i was kind of all skeptical and i was poking fun i was like you know i tweeted like unbanned priority and laughs in bowmaster or laughs in orcish because of, of bowmaster being everywhere but patch you said it hasn't been that big of a deal and stuck, yeah it's maybe too early to say but maybe that's just you know actually a really good uh, really good call by them do you but guys people, have an opinion people, yet or well, you think it's people, too early i i think that you know people who are saying this is as close to an un, as no no bands or unbands as you can get are, aren't actually that far from the truth it's not as though and this comes back ties into what canis was saying like you have you have to be seen to be doing something but they feel like the format's in a pretty decent spot so let's try and do something that's relatively low impact and preordain is a card that doesn't spawn some brand new archetype that could spiral out of control. It just puts a little bit of extra power into places that they probably felt were missing a little bit of power. And the format continues on as it was, or, or as, it, as it has been going with like, you know, a very slight alteration. And I actually have a huge amount of respect for that. And I can see the kind of the thought process behind the decision-making and if we go with the assumption that the format's in a pretty decent spot now and nothing needs to go, then this is a pretty good change. Yeah, not caving to the Twitter mob. Yeah, I, yeah, more power to them. I, I, I have a great deal of respect for just kind of holding steadfast in the face of you know, loud voices. X mob. <laughs> the X mob, yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I found that list, by the way, the creativity list. So what they did was add a fetch land. They actually cut a dwarven mine. They went down to free dwarven mine and there's just playing yeah 24 lands four preordain 13 fetch lands two steam vents it's just one turn it's a four and a prelim by it beast but um yeah i've seen it you know in that deck was the bindings and in, in the blue white deck was the bindings it's just you know it's really good on turn one but it's 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 fine really at any point in the game it's so yeah. cheap it, it digs so deep it it sets you up so nicely. Uh, it's just, I think we maybe just forgot how good of a magic card it was and just yeah. being quickly reminded, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be, it, it's, it's worse than worse than Ponder, but Ponder's like a really, really busted card. So not a little bit worse than Ponder isn't isn't anything to sneeze at. So next I, year, you think I, that'll be the announcement next year? Unban, unban, Ponder, it's unban. No, I don't think so. Unbank a taxi and probe. Bring it back. Yeah, that'll happen. Yeah. I love the taxi and probe. The secret favorite card. Um, actually, I want to I bring 
bring up something and, and pose a question to you with the power of hindsight. I think a couple of weeks ago, I made a bold claim that Orkish Bowmaster was a much, much better card than The Wandering. I don't know if you remember me, me saying this. Did we make fun of you? Oh, you made a lot of fun of me. Was that before the PT or after the it was, PT? It was prior to the PT. I think it was in an episode that we delayed for a week before PT deck submission. Oh. Do you stand by your words? I'll leave that up to the, up to the view of the side. I, 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 yeah, I do. <laughs> I'm not going to leave it up to the view of the side. Yes, I do stand by my words. My argument was that modern can't really, or a four mana sorcery spell can't really sustain at the top of modern forever. The format's too hostile to that sort of stuff. And I said the Bowmasters is going to be a more lasting, long-lasting, impactful card and probably viewed in retrospect as a, be- as a better card from Lord of the Rings in the modern format. You still think it's crazy? Yeah, I haven't thought about it. I will say that was the preordained unbanned that probably plays in Bowmasters' favor. Hell yeah. Because it probably makes Spellpierce decks better, makes Counterspells decks better, makes expensive tap out spells worse makes bowmaster better so if it wasn't already the case maybe it is now um, i don't know it's tough to say i mean there was yeah. a you know all the tron decks they were playing the one ring the the, oh, I mean, the one ring definitely did well and it's a good deck it's a good card i'm i'm not sitting here trying to pretend that, that card isn't really really good and a massive player in the format Not sure. I'm just claiming my credit where I can go. Have we played a. I've played a tiny bit of non preordained decks. Why? I tried Rhinos after the PT. It was. Preordained? Yeah, it was preordained. <laughs> no, I was, I was. I played a tiny bit of Rhinos. It was It was kind of okay. Nothing special. I played a bit more Goryo, five color Goryo, the deck I maybe should have played at the PT. Um, I think that went pretty well. Nothing, nothing new. Didn't try protein in that deck, and then I've been playing a bit of uh, of Living End. Tristan Wade Larue wrote something on on his Twitter, sharing thoughts about the deck after his PT and PTQ experience in Barcelona. I wrote a guide that's out for free on on Channel Fireball if people want to check that out. And I think the deck's still in a, in a rough spot, but I think it's still also really good. I played a bit today. Um, not the greatest results, like 2-2 in a prelim and played two leagues. I think I went 4-3 overall. So still trying to figure out how to how to build a deck, how to build a sideboard. I think I really like the, the consistent main deck approach, which for me means only free living end and no no brazen bar and no bone crusher giant i think i maybe have one subtlety in the main but i want just as many cycling cards as possible the river winders and the waker of waves that's a bit weird to me that you say that like because my inclination is always to believe that for living end is kind of like the more consistent main deck approach because it makes it so that you will rarely lose games to to drawing living ends and running out of them while like it's also like a part of your mana base i like to think about it like that where it just pitches to your grief when you draw it but it's interesting that you have this different perspective yeah i'm not sure 
it's tough because having the fourth living in your deck will win you games without you drawing it just because it's there whereas you you know you get you get you get punished only when you you, you really draw it and you don't have a grief mm -hmm. but i don't know i feel like i've just played a lot was free living ends and it's almost never came up it actually came up once at the pro tour i drew all free living ends and maybe now was the unban of creatine and their blue decks that are going to be more popular more counter spells maybe it makes sense to go back to four living ends um but i feel like all these little things add up it's tough to say that that one that one's you know i could i could i could uh could get behind for a living and but I, I like not having cards like prison borrower and uh, uh i've been i've been trying cards like anger of the gods in the sideboard but that one's awkward on the mana base yeah and Bryce, i still Bryce and borrower right. certainly just like much better suited in like post games i am also not a big fan of having it in the main deck just kind of doesn't seem to to do anything that's important in game ones right no, it's pretty rare. There's like one deck that plays Chalice, maybe main. That's the blue-white control decks. Yeah, and not you very know. many Teferi decks. No, also Brazen Bar against Teferi is not a winning battle. It's it's so rare that yeah, it actually gets you there. I feel like Brazen Bar just kind of fell out of utility once they printed Kata Otawara. Yeah, I think it's... Utility is just a post-board games where if you already have a few of these cards in the main deck, it's easier to have a better mid-range mid -range game. And um, I'm, I'm not sure what approach it, it is best. You know, I, I'm more in the camp of, you know, just clean, clean main deck and then just bring in just very minimal sideboarding and just accept that if they draw too much hate, you'll just lose to the hate. But... You won't lose all these games where, like, man, if that subtlety was just a cycling card, I would have won, or, you know. So, I, I think I think the deck's fine, but I, I'll, I'll keep. I, I enjoy like working on it and playing it, but it's it's kind of my pet deck. But it's it's still tough out there. You know, you're still you know streaming today, and someone was like, "Oh wow, they have 15 cards against Living End." Because they had like Hollow Moonlight, Chalice, Rest in Peace, Extra Dobbins, Vetoes, and I was like, no, I mean, it's just cards that are good against a lot of people and just have them to all be good against. Yeah. Vulnerable to all sorts of interaction. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you feel like playing Living in maximizes your competitive scale gap? Mm, it is a tough deck to play. So. You know, it, it still it still feels like people do well with the deck, and maybe they don't even play to the maximum of its ability, or maybe I, I don't. You know, maybe I'm wrong about some of the sideboard choices I make or deck building choices I make. Um, it is it is actually a pretty skill intensive deck as far as sideboarding goes. Yeah, the sideboarding is definitely very interesting. But yeah, I don't know. Patrick probably would say that I should be just playing Murkhead or something. Every time you play Murkhead, you do pretty well. Yeah. No, nobody's gonna scry to then draw a card like you, Gap. So you have to take advantage <laughs> of that. That's right. Yeah. Why would you cycle and draw a card when you can scry to and draw a card for blue? Yeah. So, 
I really do think we've actually milked preordained for all it's worth now. Yeah. What else have we got? Can anyone talk about, can I see anyone? Did you ruin this Pioneer ICQ recently? Uh, no, it was a while ago. It was like in okay, all right, June or May. No, even? we're not talking about something that happened in June. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Here. Right. Well, why don't we talk about how you're not playing very much Magic then? Because uh, we were talking before, and Gab indicated this. You know, taking a bit of a break for the first time in you know what feels like forever. Yeah, yeah. I so I started streaming in 2017. August, so like it's like my sixth year anniversary, roughly now. I'm not exactly sure on the day, so it's been a while, right? And uh, it's only been since since the MPL, so like 2019, so like four years ago, when I started going really hard at it and just streaming daily, and doing uh, doing a lot of content, creating a lot of content on Twitch.tv, and I have to say that for as long as I have felt invincible and impossible to get like bored or, or burned out, it's it's finally slightly starting to get to me. And uh, possibly like the fact that I also for the first time in a few years failed to qualify for the PT and kind of fell off from, from that train and watched uh, Barcelona from the sidelines instead of being the main uh, participator and that also plays a role in that but uh, I've been feeling like I need to to take a s- at least a small step back and uh, recently I've been reducing the amount of streams I perform mostly playing prelims uh, the noon prelims in modern and pioneer they're always like decent enough and I like to play them and I enjoy bringing a one of the competitive decks in the format and just playing for a prelim and seeing how will I do, possibly learning something in the process. But uh, that is like kind of the extent uh, of what I want to be doing right now. So Gab, you've been also streaming for like as long as I did or even a bit longer. Is that correct? And Yeah, I've been uh, streaming for six or seven years. Don't they say that I heard that once that seven years is kind of the the tipping point where people get a little you know for a job anyways for that's when people I don't know if it's like, an average or people change or you know that kind of hits you that even if it's something you like it's you know seven years is kind of a long time of doing something. All right, I have not heard of that, but that sounds interesting, and I guess maps uh, maps onto. Onto that, what is yeah. your experience yeah, yeah. with that and like how you've been handling like streaming and or like do you ever feel like you, you stream like too much or do you feel like you are capable of finding a good balance? No, I've, I've been happy streaming. I feel like I'm a little lazy about some of the other stuff I, I do or I should be doing. But the stream, I, I really enjoy. I, I don't mind firing the stream, you know, six days a week it, if I'm if I'm at home. And I already feel like I take a decent amount of time off, especially now again with going to the Pro Tours and stuff. So I'm, I'm okay streaming, streaming. Um, but yeah, as I say, I, I do get natural 
breaks naturally with the magic tournaments and whatnot. And there's just always something to test for that keeps me going. I remember when I started streaming, there would be periods of time where there's just not much to play, honestly. There's no formats that appeal to me and there was nothing to practice for, but that's not the case anymore. There's always something, so that that plays a big role. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I stream, even if you stream six hours in a day, that's still, what, 10 hours that you have to do other things. So it's not even, you, you, no commute, um, that helps a lot. Uh, you don't take a ton of breaks, so the six hour, you know, maybe someone will be working six hours at a regular job and it takes them, you know, it's like a span of eight or nine hours. And so, no, I don't, I don't mind it um, these days anyways. I I don't find it too hard to, to stream also. Mm. Good, so both good. of you have brought up essentially the same point that being able to keep going was somewhat tied to having something to chase. So having you know, tournaments to prepare for or pro tours that you're qualified for and, and, and whatnot. And so is that, I guess, I guess if, if OP all, all goes away, are you still playing Magic? Well, probably, but yeah, certainly like seeing the example and seeing how Gab says that he's getting fired and trying to test for the next thing. I've also like had that, have that uh, kind of motivation frequently where if there is an event on the horizon like if i if i go to a tournament and i do poorly in that tournament like as soon as i am in the incapable of top eighting bracket i kind of just try to look forward to the next tournament already trying to mm. you know envision something in the future where i can win and uh, succeed uh, so certainly that is a big thing and i guess the falling of the PT probably kind of uh, important in that factor. So, Gab, I guess I had a question for you. What, like, how much does going for going to a PT feel like work, and like, how much does it feel like a good time or like a vacation even for you? I think it's more on the vacation side. It's it's kind of my vacations. I've honestly, I've never really. And I'm not like complaining or anything because I'm really lucky with that I do, but I've never really taken vacation in, in my life. I've never gone on a vacation, just be like, oh, I'm going to go on a, a vacation alone or do this or do that. Anytime I've gone to on a vacation, it was either magic tournament or, you know, my, my group of friends that, that don't play magic that we, we went on vacation together. And, and now when we go on vacation was, was my wife too. So. I've, I've never felt like I really needed uh, a vacation. The, the The work part is more the maybe some of the testing sometimes, especially maybe the testing online, you know, when I, I'll stream and then we'll test a bit online. That can feel like a bit of work. Yeah, I'm sure having to stream and then turn around and do the exact same thing offline to prep is a big problem. Yeah, or when you have to... I don't know, for some reason it doesn't always feel as fun to play test a matchup against one of your teammates than it is to just fire a league and um, yeah, I don't know what it is to, to like liberty or 
it's like you know you don't know what you're gonna face you you can win prizes it's like you can 5-0 yeah. and then you're gonna be like oh yeah i got this like nice trophy which 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 is something yeah. that you can be happy about and if you if <laughs> you crash kai buddha in a discord session like 5-0 you can't even tell anyone because it's <laughs> it's your secret testing right yeah <laughs> But to answer your question too, Pat, if OP's gone tomorrow, I don't know if I, um, I keep playing Magic and if I keep streaming. When I started streaming, I think there was basically no professional Magic players who streamed. So I figured that would be my niche. You know, I'd be like kind of the 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 professional player, even though if at the time I was not... Well, I guess I, I don't even remember. I guess... When I started streaming, was it still like the PTs and I still had yeah. my Hall of Fame invites? Yes. Yeah, yes. you still had you. Okay, you, yeah. You so yeah, you. I guess that was, that was the... But I was more focused on, on the stream than on... And you, had no, what I you had no pro level or anything like that. No. When you got back in, yeah. That, it had been a while since myself. you top headed something as well. I think yeah. like the last thing you'd done was kind of like QO or something. Yeah. If, if if OP was to go, I'm not sure. I would. I'd probably just move on and and do something else. If I had to guess. Yeah. Yeah. If OP was gone, I probably would uh, like keep Magic in my life as just like the modern FNMs that I play in weekly, which are more of a way to to meet up with a group of friends than to play anyways. And having to actually bring a deck to those and play those four rounds is sometimes kind of a chore. But then you, we we like <laughs> yeah. chill, go to a restaurant, we have like a nice meal, and and it's a good, good good thing, good good tradition. Yeah. While yeah. also, it's I probably would just play cube occasionally or stuff like that. Not not commander yeah. though, cube. I don't yeah. know if you feel the same way, canister, but I, for me, I just don't even know where everything's so intertwined that I don't know where something starts, when something ends, why you know what i would be doing it's just you know it's kind of just all part of um you know streaming and playing in the big tournaments and it's just kind of a cycle and yeah yeah so like yeah so you stream because you prep and you prep because you play in tournaments and then you yeah and then play in tournaments because you you requalify for tournaments that's what you mean yeah it's just such a unique perspective compared to to most magic player mm. you know i can't even no. tell like how much is it me still loving to play magic or if it's just you know just a habit and yeah just what i do for a living and so i was gonna uh, i was trying to find a way to kind of give a little bit of kind of similar perspective but what both of you are describing to me is something that i've observed in people who just find who found a way to make a living doing something that they really enjoy this kind of your overall, you would say that things are good, but you get into these phases where like, you're like, all you've been doing is living and breathing this same thing over and over and over again. I find it, I find it happening to myself actually. So, uh, so I work as a research scientist and I'm, it's, I really, really enjoy it. Like it's like the, one of my favorite thing to do is, do, do research and look at his results and analyze it. And I often find myself getting in these kind of, you know, periods where like I haven't really done anything outside of that. So like I've kind of gotten up in the morning, taken care of family stuff, gone to work, thought about science all the way through work, 
rode my bike home thinking about what I did that day, dealt with home stuff, and then in the evening sat there and just read material or looked over things or thought over problems. And I realized I've just been doing this for a week straight or a month straight. And, you know, I don't take vacation. And so kind of, it's kind of a symptom of doing something, being able to do something that you really love full time. And I think, you know, obviously both of you guys would say that you are very passionate about magic and mashing, something that you love and you get to do it for a living. And it makes sense that you kind of get in this, you know, living, breathing, eating, sleeping, all of it is just magic all the time. And it can be a bit overwhelming when you catch yourself looking at yourself from the outside every now and then it feels a little bit disconcerting, and you know, a bit overwhelming. Yeah, that's a good point. And I've, I've made the observation with other people in, in my, in my field who are doing what they love doing or people who, uh, like make music for a living and they, they make money for it, make money, but they're kind of in this kind of thing all the time. It's all consuming passion and it's really great. You're a very lucky person to be able to do this, but it does take its toll on you. I have like one more caveat about my situation, I think, which is that it is pretty hard for me to tell exactly how much I enjoy magic versus how much do I enjoy winning uh, hmm. in magic. And I think it might be more that I enjoy winning and uh, throughout like the past two years or something, I've been like noticing a drop off in my in my performance at tournaments, be it online or like in paper or the PTs or like everything. Uh, if I actually log into my MTG ELO project page, I can see like that the graph is on like a falling is slope right Sounds now. Yes, and uh, that's also been something that was. That, that is getting to me, right? It's like feels harder for me to to perform at the level that at the standard that I would want to to hold myself for to. And uh, it's also not been very pleasant and it's been and it's been a little bit tough for me to frame, think about, deal with and just overall tough stuff. Yeah, that's a good point. Winning, winning is fun. Not gonna lie. Yeah. <laughs> um, it actually kind of bothers me sometimes when I'm streaming. I do feel like it, I'm a little too like moody in some ways. I don't think it gets to a bad point, but it still feels like it definitely affects me a lot, um, or more than I would want it to affect me. Yeah. Also, like my most of my play was on stream in the in the like most of the recent years, and I think it's i got a lot of bad practice because of that and you know you mm. can probably blame blame uh, gachimuchi blasting through my headphones whenever i play and I'm stuff like that yeah finally finally it's taking some kind of a toll but uh <laughs> i i you know the way i conduct my stream i do have lots of distractions and you know i talk to to my viewers and i and I listen to to loud, insane music in my headphones, and yeah. maybe it is uh, not the best uh, environment for conducting a, a mental activity, right? Yeah, I in, completely agree. I mean, so maybe I, maybe that that plays a role too. I look at my productivity when I have music on versus when I don't have music on, and it's just astronomical difference. Yeah, when I have yeah. music on, I just kind of zoning in and out of something that I'm first be you know putting serious cognitive focus into something that requires a large amount of energy and resources 
to do right. And if I have music and I just don't do it properly, I just wind up spinning around in my chair, essentially in my head and it doesn't work. And yeah, I find that I find the times that I'm you know, most productive or most effective at learning things is when I'm just, it's me in a room with nothing else around me. And I just, this is the only thing, like my browser is closed. Like <laughs> I can't do that. I, there was a period of time where I, I streamed it. And this is when I was, uh, you know, tr- trying to, trying to play, play on the PT. Uh, when I would stream, then I, trying to be entertaining really just did not work for me. And I really didn't enjoy it. I really, and my streams wound up being no camera, no microphone, <laughs> silence of me with six viewers or something like that. It was just all my friends sitting there watching me play very quietly. And that was, those, those, that's the only way I could ever get anything out of the streaming experience that felt like practice. Yeah, it's tough. I'm really bad at multitasking and I don't have music on my stream. And one of the reasons is because I think it would distract me even more. Yeah. Um, it's, it's tough. And I agree about the, the, the practice because you don't, you don't think as much when you're streaming, you're just distracted. So you can't think about what is going on as much. You can probably still play the game finds and the lines fine, but you're maybe not thinking as deeply about the game and keeping track of what's working out, what's not working out, what, what cost you the game or what didn't cost you the game, you know? Yeah. Even though you might still play the game fine, you, you don't have the brain power to also be analyzing or maybe just like keeping track like you would with maybe a pen or paper just because it's like one other thing that you have to, to do. And I always felt like the thing I missed the most, the thing I felt I was missing the most when I would have extra distraction on when I was playing magic because I was not paying attention to what my opponent was doing as much. Whatever story they were, their narrative that they were constructing for me wasn't, wasn't a part of my thinking as much. I, that's something I have to really, I've, I've never been particularly good at, uh, at, at reading other people's, uh, you know, figuring out other people's ranges and stuff like that. I have to really work hard at it and be really cognizant of it. And, I, and it's the sort of thing that immediately goes if my focus is out. So I find myself playing worse in that respect when I'm distracted. Yeah. No. Um, yeah, the, the whole living, breathing magic too. I, I feel like it hasn't been that for me in, in a while now. I, I have kind of more more balanced life than I did when I started playing magic and then the same thing with poker. But um, yeah, I mean, with poker, I just kind of quit from one day to the other and kind of never looked back. So. I could see the same thing happening was was magic one day. Can, can I ask what the reason for quitting Poker Cold Turkey was? It was combination. So I think it had been about a year and a half where I was not very happy playing online, just grinding online every night. I, I, I just was not very happy in my life. Well, it was that, that aspect of it anyways. And then I also lost my poker star sponsorship because they left the French market mm. before coming back a few days later, I think. So I didn't have the sponsorship. I wasn't very happy. And then I went through a downswing during there's like the Winamax series, which is basically the biggest tournament series. And, you know, it's a few times a year and during two weeks, there's a bunch of binds. So you can easily lose, you know, 
I don't know, maybe I went in a 10 or 15,000 euro downswing, which is, you know, something that had happened to me many, many times before. But I guess it was just, you know, I was like, well, no more sponsorship. I'm not happy. I just went on a big downswing. The games are getting tougher every every day, every year. Mm. Um, and we had been streaming a bit was, and I'd enjoyed it. You know, I'd been streaming a tiny bit. I'd enjoyed it. So uh, there was also... Wizards had just hired Dan Burdick and his team, so it looked like they were, like, you know, paying. Um, I don't know, putting resources basically in in something that might benefit competitive Magic. Mm. Did you enjoy like the process of playing poker itself, or like was that how how fun is that? It's it's been a while. I used to. I don't know. It's been so long. Man. I don't remember. I mean, when we started, when I started playing like 20 years ago, it was fun. It was just clicking buttons like a video game, just looking at your money go up. It's kind of a good feeling, you know? And then, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was fun. It, it was fun to just be able to play that game and, and make money. So it is again, like pretty hard to decipher if it was fun to win or fun to, to play. Right. Yeah, I would say it was probably more fun to win because I don't think poker, especially poker online, is that fun. I mean, it can be interesting, and mm -hmm. if, if you work hard to it, can be rewarding and stuff, but I, I've played a tiny bit of online recently. It was not very fun. I did play live. I, I did came, I played a poker turn this, this week for the first time in six or seven years, and I came in second. Just ran super hot, but obviously that was fun. But even even on day one, just being there at the table getting dealt some cards. I think that part's pretty fun, actually. I'm not I'm not a big fan of, I think gambling's just pretty bad in general. I think it's just net negative. I think poker's probably net negative for society, but as far as gambling game goes, poker's probably one of the better ones because especially when you're playing live, you know, it doesn't go super fast. It's not slots. It's actually, you know, you can beat the game. You're playing against the other players mostly, even though the house takes a rake and it is it is strategy interesting strategy game but yeah all right a little tangent here i guess no it's uh, good so it seems like the solution to living a happy life or rather the key to living a happy life is to live a balanced life <laughs> yeah or to win a lot i thought you or, were gonna yes, say yes, yes. to win yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, sure, sure. Win a lot or, a, or have a balanced life. On a, on a, on a, on a, um, a, a slightly less trite note, I've often wondered if people who kind of don't like their job actually wind up invariably having a more balanced life by default. Like they kind of, they, they clock in at night and punch out a fire and they just forget about it. So a job you hate that, builds yeah, character. Yeah, thank God that's behind me. Like I'm going to go and do something that I love doing now and I go home and spend time with people that I really care about or something like that. And I've never been able to have one of those jobs. Those jobs really suck. And I just invariably wound up going back to something that just kind of like eats me alive from the inside out. And I enjoy every second of it. And yeah, I, I kind of, I've often wondered if the grass is greener on the other side, I guess. Yeah, I've never right. felt the same. <laughs> I highly, highly doubt it that Absolutely having not. having a job you don't like makes you. Uh, well, but it, makes it, you maybe it forces you run. to it forces you to kind of 
make sure that your life is full in other ways. Yeah. You know, maybe that's I, the point I'm trying to make. As far as that could be fun, I am still probably wouldn't trade my, my position in life and, you yeah. know, the like slight amount of burnout I am currently experiencing, <laughs> but like on, I am on yeah. my track of handling it and, and getting, yeah. tackling it, uh, Positively, I would not trade that for for having to do something I hate for someone I hate. So, <laughs> I do wish I would have had that experience at some point in my life, just working, you know, some kind of job. I, you you not, never you worked know, like a, a a regular job, Gab? No, I've it's, never never had to. You didn't even like like stack shelves or anything like that when you were a kid. Have a paper route. No, never had. No, my my mom gave me like a tiny bit of money every week. I, I didn't. I mean, I didn't spend on much. I never really spent on much. Um, never really bought anything, so I didn't really need money. And then I started making money playing magic and in poker. So never really needed a, a job. Or it was my mom till I was pretty old. Right. So even when I was making money playing magic and poker, I. Yeah, it was all profit. Yeah. 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 Okay, makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. I've unpacked trucks for people who I've like, you know, trucks come in the shops and then unload pallets and break them down, and it sucks. It's awful. Yeah. Do you feel like that's helped you in a meaningful way in your life to have that experience? Yep, absolutely. I I went to university uh, at seventeen years old. I started two degrees at the same time, and I dropped out after six months. And I spent a year and a half working for the stupidest and hor- most horrible people on earth. And I went, that's it. <laughs> I'm, I'm far too good for this shit. I'm going back to school. And I went back and I did it seriously. And I, it wasn't without its ups and downs. I still like, you know, struggled with a lot of different things. But uh, eventually I got my degree in the end and I went, cool, I'm going to go and do something different now. And I did that and I worked, you know, similar kind of menial jobs. And I went, this sucks. I'm going to go back to school. And I went back to school and did research. I was like, this is great. And I've never stopped. So, yeah, I think having doses of reality have been very helpful for me. For, for similar reasons to what I'm describing, where you kind of get super into something and you get kind of fried on it. And you can't separate what's the good part and the bad part. And, you know, I walk away and then be like, actually, no, this sucks. The other stuff sucks. I'm going back to the thing that I really enjoy doing and I'm going to try and do it a little bit more healthily and in a more reasonable manner. Yeah. And now I, and now I have a, I have a full-time job and it's very serious and it takes a lot of my time, but I still don't feel like I have a normal job. Yeah. My job is different every day and that's quite interesting. Well, this has been the midweek metagame personal philosophy hour. Yeah, I enjoyed Life it. Life advice. Yeah. I'll probably, hopefully, I feel like hopefully. it's season one of midweek metagame didn't really ever get into kind of real life stuff. And I, I don't mind. I don't mind it every now and then. Yeah. We won't make uh, it happen. I enjoy, I enjoy it too. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess right. it's, it's time to, uh, to put our life on the line. Yeah. If you could do anything for a living, what would you do? <laughs> Uh, for those of you who don't, who, who are new around here and have survived this last talk about uh, uh, our ongoing life situations, um, Life on the Line is a theoretical tournament. Um, we have to choose decks from the formats we've talked about today, and the stakes are very high. 
if you win, you live, and if you lose, you have to work a nine to five. <laughs> um, so oh, no. we're going to talk about yeah, I know. Let's talk about decks from modern at the moment. Um, I'm going to I'm going to go first. I'm going to play Blue Red Magtide. I think Preordain's fun, and I like casting it, and I think it's really good. I'm not afraid of Orcish Bowmasters, despite what the world will tell me. And I will never board out Ragged Man. You can count me on that. Can I... Canister? Uh, can I rely on you providing me with a decklist of Blue-Red Merktide for, for this weekend's uh, tournament? You can. It wouldn't be look too different to whatever, whatever anyone else is playing, but I'll tell you, I'll show you what I like. Yes, in that case, uh, I'm putting my 9-5 to life on the line with Merktide Region 2. It's... Uh, yeah. I, I, a believer! I've never had a believer. <laughs> Yes, you, you, you have uh, converted me. Very good. I've never picked Merktide with you, Pat. I think there might have been once or twice, and then you, you pointed out that it'll probably be a mistake, and then said, told me what you'd really play. <laughs> <laughs> or you said you'd do it, and then you'd have a big tournament that weekend, you'd play, like, Living End or something. It's pretty close for me right now. I think I would pick between Blue Black and Merktide if I had to pick right now. It's, it's probably a deep regret, actually, that we didn't go a little bit deeper on how you how that blue black blue black deck actually is. But we can make. I mean, we talked we, we talked about it a decent bunch. It just felt you know like a little smoother. Cleaner, yeah. was preordained. It's cool. Yeah. Sorry. Anyway, I talked about you between blue black and what? Uh, and Merktides. Oh, look at that. I think I would just play one of the preordained just, blue decks. We're a very predictable podcast. If there's blue cards, we cast them. Well, let's let's just go with Merktide. Look Maybe it's a first. All three, all three of us on the I, same. Uh... I don't think this ever actually happened. Yeah. I Nor will it ever it. happen again, especially after I ship you all the most rancid blue red motorcycles of all time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. If you made it this far in the episode, thank you so much. Uh, Gab, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me posting this episode in a timely manner hopefully this week on our patreon if you made it this far and you enjoyed the episode you know we do it for the love the love of the game but consider uh if you feel so inclined to supporting us on patreon patreon.com slash midweek metagame i love this is how much we love we're in it for the love of the game that we mentioned the patreon at the very end yeah i forgot to do it during the intro and i was like well you know, it's fine. Like, I actually like, think it, it it shows character and and true love of the game, despite the burnout. Yeah, and uh, yeah, of course on Twitch, twitch.tv slash yellowhat. And Canister, what about you? My Twitch is canister underscore mtg, and my soon to be active again YouTube channel is youtube.com slash canister. What about your ex? Oh, my ex, yes. Canister underscore MTG. But I only shit post every now and then. Right. And you can find me anywhere on the internet at get underscore smart. And we will see you next week. Bye.